Welcome to Woke and Confused, the podcast delving into the environmental dilemmas of our time. From palm oil to plastics, climate change to behaviour change, doing the right thing can be a complete minefield. We're on this journey with you and we'll be exploring some of the day-to-day challenges we face and the decisions we struggle to make. We're your hosts, Livy Drake and Jessica Farrow, and we're Woke and Confused. On today's episode, we travel through time to explore the past and future of food. And in Greenwash Corner, we review Red Bull Organic Tonic and the meat imposter burgers that are taking the world by storm. But first... Dilemmas. So Livy, what's your dilemma today? So after the last episode when we were talking about uh, palm oil and processed foods, I started thinking a bit more about alternatives and... I mean, I just like to eat a few nuts and seeds here and there. And then you start looking at nuts. And then someone told me that the people who pick cashew nuts, they end up with really gnarly hands because it's so difficult. And and then there's the whole issue with droughts, meaning that uh, Brazil nut crops are failing. And, oh God, then there's almonds and the fact that in America where they're grown, they use bees. Because they've got no bees left, they shipping bees and i've watched these programs where then they're spraying uh, almonds with pesticides while the bees are going to pollinate them i also actually just to add to here i also read about hazelnuts and hazelnuts that are used in nutella and how that there's human rights issues in hazelnut supply chains like really bad cases of human and child child labor and human rights abuses so that's a really good start to uh just uh trying to have a guilt-free snack uh, yeah so what i'm going to do today is i'm going to go down to the um the zero waste shop and i'm going to grill them now i'm just going to ask them nicely like do they know about the supply chain i mean yeah they're buying it in bulk bags but do they know about the supply chain because i think that's what we said that's what you've got to do ask your suppliers cool good uh, sounds like a good way to go and what about you what's your dilemma well I get a veg box. I've been getting a veg box for the past few years. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it because it means that I don't have to go to the shops too often because a nice, lovely load of veg arrives on my doorstep every week. And for a while, I was using a national company, Abel & Cole, who I was very happy with. Slightly on the pricey side, but very good quality. And they have this great website you can go on and you can order, you can change your box. So every week they show you what it is. And you can make swaps and change them really easily. You can also have a calendar where you can show when you're going on holidays and easily cancel your order and restart it again. So it's very easy and user friendly. But then I realized that I wanted to support a local mm-hmm. organic yep. box scheme because I wanted to support the local growers in my city. So I started using them and they were really good, but they have a very, very low tech outfit. So they're very much like give them a ring, send them an email. They might reply in four days time. And then it's kind of payment by bank transfer and all just very low key and chilled, which I love about them. But it also isn't that convenient. So I love the convenience of this kind of national company. But I really want to support my local box scheme. Mm. So it's just trying to find that balance of convenience versus ethics and supporting my local economy. Yeah, I have a similar thing. So I was with um, a local scheme for years and they've started growing their customers now. And I was just used to text them my order and they'd like text me, Livy, we haven't got your order this week. And then they just started like, Livy, we need to know two days in advance. We're busy. And then I forgot. And then I actually, Livy, enough now. Everyone else emails us. So can you like, and I was just like, this is not convenient for me. I like being able to send a little text message and them reminding me. But apparently I'm not the most important person anymore. (laughs) So it's a good thing that they're growing, but it's also, yeah, 
it's all about the kind of consumer habits that we're used to with the just easy 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 easy, easy. so yeah um i'm gonna try again and find another box scheme that maybe has a slightly somewhere in the middle I think it would be really nice to have a little section um, from our listeners, like from our own correspondent, but from our listeners, because we get lovely messages from you all. And it's really inspiring to hear what you've been doing and steps that you've been taking since you've listened to an episode. And I think we're going to share from one of our listeners in Germany. Yeah, we got this really lovely email from Edward, um, uh, Edward Lowe's, and he, I'm just going to read you his email, it's lovely. So, hey guys, I'm Ed in Germany here. I just listened to your episode on air travel and I've signed up for the 2020 pledge. I'm also, as the day before yesterday, vegetarian once again, which is tough for me, being the son of a farmer. Anyway, back to flights. I'm in the process of retroactively offsetting all the flights I've ever taken in my life. I'm 33, so it's a lot via Atmosphere, which is a well-recognised offsetting organisation here in Germany. It's costing me a fortune, but I can't sleep at night thinking how I've caused so much damage and had to do something about it. I'm doing it one month at a time as it's expensive. Just offset a London to Hong Kong return trip at the princely cost of €132. You guys are awesome. Looking forward to hearing more from you. All the best, Edward. Oh, thanks, Edward. Ah, that's great. We love that email. Thank you. Yeah. Do send us in your thoughts and emails of stuff you guys have been working on. We'd love to know if our show's inspired you to take any action and change the way you're doing things. We'd love to hear it. We're all ears. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of food. So we invited India from Let Us Grow to talk about some of the topics. So actually, what do Let Us Grow do, Livy? Let Us Grow create technology for indoor vertical farming using the concepts of aeroponics, but more on that later. So by 2050, it's estimated that we're going to have about 10 billion people on the planet. About 70% of them are going to be living in urban areas as they move into towns and cities and stuff to find work. Obviously, we're going to need to feed them. Um, so we're going to need to increase global food production by about 70% to feed this population and do it with like limited resources and increasingly unstable climate as well. So food actually is a large contributor to climate change. The global food system accounts for nearly a third of greenhouse gas emissions, which is pretty shocking and we're actually running out of a lot of the things that we need to produce this food like yeah. water and soil they're just not renewable resources like we think they are i mean it rains so we assume that water is going to be there forever but we need to take better care of it mm. um, and fertile land is actually decreasing at a ridiculous rate um, it's estimated we've lost about a third of our fertile land in the last 40 years a lot of it is to do with industrial industrial farming so we're taking a lot out of the soil um to feed people and to feed the food waste problem that we mm. have. So if food waste was a country, uh, the UN estimates that it would be the third biggest greenhouse gas emitter of all of the countries, which is, is mind-boggling. And we're, we're wasting a huge amount of food, particularly fresh produce like salads, um, mm. tomatoes, strawberries. Uh, thanks, India, for all of that background. And I guess when you look at it like that, it's just you really have to wonder how we got into this terrible state of affairs with our food system. I just wish we could go back in time and really understand how we got into this horrible mess. Wait, Meg? Uh, sorry, sorry, our sound person Meg is waving at us. Yeah, yeah, guys, I, I, um, 
I didn't say, but I do actually have a time machine if you did want to go. You've got a time machine? That's freaking awesome. Yeah, well, obviously we really want to do that. Yeah, it's literally just past this MOT, so if you want to jump in, then for sure, let's go. Sweet. Okay, well, we really need to go and find out quick sharp because we might run out of food and as humans we might go extinct. So let's go on Meg's time machine. So we're now in the time machine, all strapped in and ready to go. Meg, are you, are you ready to drive? Yeah, thumbs up. Cool. So um, I guess let's just pull the lever and see how far it takes us back. Right, so we've just landed in 12,000 BC. Do you want to get out here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, uh, did, you, did you guys want the audio guide as well? <laughs> Is yeah. it extra? Yeah, yeah, fiver. And if you want the headset, um, an extra fiver on top of that. Well, oh. obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do great. it. Let me just dig some out for you. You need to be back in 10 minutes or I'm going, all right? Let's get out. Okay. Okay, we've got 10 minutes in 12,000 BC. Okay, well, it's kind of mind-blowing just being here. I just want to sit here for a moment and just get over the craziness. Well, this is so nice and quiet. It's just beautiful. There's trees everywhere. There's grasses gently swaying in the wind. There's birdsong. Oh, there's hardly any people. This is bliss. Yeah, and like that river over there, it's so crystal clear. Oh, what's that rustling noise? Can you hear something? Oh, there are some people. There's some people walking through the trees over there in the distance. Looks like a small group of women and maybe a few children. Shall we um, turn on the... uh turn on the audio guide and see what's going on. Bien sûr, un instant, Aurélie, c'est pour toi. Do not listen to this recording whilst driving or whilst operating machinery. Part 2. The Agricultural Revolution. Hang on a minute. That's not an audio guide, that's just an audio book. It's Yuval Harari's Sapiens. Ah, yeah, but it's a great book, but nonetheless. Fair enough. Just Meg was trying to get us on the audio guide thing. Oh, well, never mind. It's a great book. For 2.5 million years, humans fed themselves by gathering plants and hunting animals that lived and bred without their intervention. Homo erectus, Homo augusta, and the Neanderthals plucked wild figs and hunted wild sheep without deciding where fig trees would take root, in which meadow a herd of sheep should graze, or which billy goat would inseminate which nanny goat. Homo sapiens spread from East Africa to the Middle East, to Europe and Asia, and finally to Australia and America. But everywhere they went, sapiens too continued to live by gathering wild plants and hunting wild animals. Why do anything else when your lifestyle feeds you amply and supports a rich world of social structures, religious beliefs and political dynamics? So what, we just, in 12,000 BC, we just gathered nuts and berries and walked around through the forest all day? Yeah, sounds great. Wow, sounds like being a digital nomad, doesn't it, really? Well, apparently, 90% of human history was like this. We did this as humans for two and a half million years. We just walked around the forests and we ate nuts and berries and we were hunter-gatherers. So what happens, I mean, I don't want to eat meat, but what if you fancy some meat? I mean, you don't want to eat meat. What if Meg fancies some meat? (laughs) Well, you'd have to hunt it. Oh, Well, you might be able to actually kind of scavenge some of that rotting carcass over there if you fancy it. Uh, I think um, think our time's up. Maybe we should get back in the time machine. Uh, Okay, yeah, let's go forward. Let's find out what's happening next. 
back in the time machine. So Meg, where should we go next? Well, my personal recommendation is around 8,000 BC. Things start to get pretty interesting around there. Let's go, let's go. Okay, great. Fire it up. So it looks like we've landed in the agricultural revolution, Jess. Great, let's put on the audio guide to find out more. Sapiens began to devote almost all their time and effort to manipulating the lives of a few animal and plant species. From sunrise to sunset, humans sowed seeds, watered plants, plucked weeds from the ground, and led sheep to prime pastures. The agricultural revolution left farmers with lives generally more difficult and less satisfying than those of foragers. Hunter-gatherers spent their time in more stimulating and varied ways, and were less in danger of starvation and disease. The agricultural revolution certainly enlarged the sum total of food at the disposal of humankind, but the extra food did not translate into a better diet or more leisure. Rather, it translated into population explosions and pampered elites. The average farmer worked harder than the average forager and got a worse diet in return. Who was responsible? Neither kings, nor priests, nor merchants. The culprits were a handful of plant species, including wheat, rice, and potatoes. These plants domesticated Homo sapiens rather than vice versa. Wow, that wheat, God, it sounds a bit like demand. It's making everyone work for it real hard. It's basically like wheat is like the ultimate capitalist. It's just yeah. like cracking the whip, getting all of the humans working to do its bidding. Just think about those meat eaters. What, what's on offer if you're a meat eater? How are they, what animals? So in this situation, it looks like it's all goats and little cows and things that they've managed to domesticate. Mm, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think the vegans would approve of how they're keeping these animals. Looks pretty mean to me. Why? What are they, what are they doing? Well, look, there's all those... Look, they've cut off the noses of those pigs so they don't go anywhere, so they uh, stay around and eat their food. God, that's brutal. Yeah, well, you know, a pig without its nose is helpless and it's dependent on man. So basically, we've gone from living in a Garden of Eden to just these massive, huge fields of wheat. It's almost like you expect Theresa May to run through at any point. What, the ultimate capitalist? <laughs> God, yeah. You can really see how things really took a turn at this point. It's like this is the start of, um, yeah, capitalism, isn't it? It's like that thing, if we just work a bit harder, if we just work a bit harder, put some more effort in, it'll get better. And it's when also people started to accumulate things. So instead of having the things that you needed just readily abundant for you to walk through the forest and pluck from the tree as you please, you're starting to actually accumulate stuff. Look at all those people, they're just farming all day and they've basically just set up their houses right next to the wheat fields. So whereas before we, we roamed and were nomadic, now we actually had to stay in one place. What do you mean? No more, no more of those digital nomad holidays? Yeah, you can't go away for the summer, Livy. You have to stay and water the wheat. Oh, I don't know about this. I want to get back on the time machine. Meg, Meg, get us out of here. <laughs> don't let us stay here. Yeah, yeah, let's definitely leave these really busy people to it and carry on forward. Right, where are we going next? 
Uh, I've always wanted to go to 1950s and I think that'd be a really good time to go to because it was post-war in the UK. They were still doing rationing. Let's go there. All right, you ready to drive? Let's go. Oh, I'm feeling a bit peckish, actually, all this talk of food. I'm quite fancying a snack, so... Oh, there's a shop there. There's a greengrocer's shop. Let's go in. Oh, hello, shopkeeper. Meg, is that you? Yeah, 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 it is, all right? You know, I've got, we've got a few jobs. It's 1950, you know, we've got to pay the bills. I also play the piano down the old boot on a Saturday <laughs> night, if you want to see that. Anyway, we're after some snacks. We're hungry. All right, well, you can only have half a pound of tuppenny rice and half a pound of tree cool, love. You want cake? You gotta bake it yourself. Oh, okay. And do you have your rationing cards? We are still doing that till 1953. Oh, so we can't just go into the shop and pick up any snacks. You know what? This greengrocer's shop—it's just like a zero waste shop, isn't it? Yeah, because I guess this is actually before the era of packaging. It was when everything just came unwrapped and you brought your own, yeah. not a plastic Tupperware container, a basket. A basket. And you'd go round to the butchers, the bakers, the candlestick makers, and you'd get all the stuff and you'd take it all home. Oh, I do quite like this, this shop. It's lovely. So where are they getting all their produce? Well, this thing, how are they going to feed everyone? Should we go, and, should we go to a farm? Should we go to like some, the countryside, see what's going on there? Yeah, let's go have a look. So here we are in the field. So there's loads of huge tractors and they're using, it looks like pesticides. And a bit of herbicides. Yeah, this is, this is obviously where industrial farming really started to ramp up. Yeah, because the growing population after the war, more mouths to feed. Ugh. Well, I'm starting to get really peckish. The only thing that I got in that greengrocer's was a tin of Spam, so I don't really fancy that. So we head forward to the supermarket. Yeah, come on, come on, drive. Right, we're going to the 90s. picking up some static or some songs from the 90s. Oh, oh I love this tune. Yeah, well, this is when we were growing up. I mean, this is, uh, this is our time. I mean, do you remember, um, well, it's probably a bit more in the 80s, I guess, and um, we used to have uh, a milkman. And he used to deliver things in glass bottles. Yeah, I do. And I actually remember when my mum decided to stop using the milkman and instead go to Asda and start buying milk in plastic bottles. Yeah, that must have been when, like, the big supermarket started. Like, the massive, like, out-of-town ones. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Mid-90s. Oh, everyone's wearing shell suits. Yes, yes, I've got my shell suit. <laughs> oh, you fit right in, Livy. I, I just never left. <laughs> um, so this is when all the packaged food, there's so much packaging, and look at these huge supermarkets that are here. Oh, and do you remember that weird bare-faced ham that everyone used to eat? It was like a ham that was, like, in the shape of a bear's face. Uh, no, because I was a vegetarian in the 90s. Uh, and I think we just ate so much bad stuff like just processed food was so normal 
and you go to kids parties and it was chicken nuggets I think the idea of healthy eating wasn't a thing in Scotland where I was growing up at least well maybe you too much iron brew <laughs> probably yeah but I think also I'm sure I remember in the 90s it's when corn started so it's like when we started genetically modifying and making like vegetarian protein stuff I think this was the kind of peak of when consumption really started with packaged foods and snacks and, and microwave meals. And then that's gone on up to 2019 where we're from. It's all so much packaged food and palm oil and vegetables and corn syrup and all that is stuff and additives that's in food that wasn't in the greengrocers back in the 50s. Yeah, cheap, cheap food production. I mean, if you think food is so cheap now, I heard a stat which was that food back in the 70s, people used to spend about 40% of their income on food um, and now we're spending about 10%. It's because food's got so much cheaper. Uh, should we hang around here? Or, I mean, I lived through this bit. I don't know. I think that's, maybe it's time to move on. Before we go to 2019 again, I feel like we should have a little peek at the future. Yeah, but I'm a bit scared of what it's going to look like. It didn't sound good from what India was saying. I am really scared too, but I think it's the only way. So should we go have a... Mm, 2035? Yeah, yeah, not 2050. Meg, let's go. 2035, please. Whoa, wow. There's a lot of people here in this city. Oh, it's so busy. So many people. And it's so hot. Are we in London? Because it feels like Barcelona or something. I think that's global heating in full effect. Oh. I can see there's people everywhere and they seem to be queuing. There are probably a lot of the climate refugees that have been moved into cities from all around the world. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, and there's actually... There's not that many insects here considering it's so hot. Yeah, but um, I think we can eat insects. There's insects on the menu. Oh, so, but they're insects that have been farmed indoors. Yeah, protein. There's limited ways of getting protein, so insects are a solution, apparently. Mm, yeah, okay. And, oh, there's some weird... Is that, like, a plane flying across the sky with some... Are they doing some kind of geoengineering? Or maybe they're trying to stop the sun coming in. Oh, they actually did that. Oh. It's a thing. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if it's working. It doesn't feel like it's working. I mean, this all sounds a bit scary, but is there anything to eat? Well... Let's have a look. I mean, it looks like they're doing something in these tunnels. It looks like they're doing some kind of growing. I think we should ask India about this later. Yeah, definitely. It's good to see that a lot of front gardens and parks and public spaces seem to be growing lots of veg. Oh, it's a bit like um, back in those war days, isn't it? Dig for victory vibes. Oh, we're going back to the future again. <laughs> that's confusing. Um, but yeah, that, that's really good to see because we don't need empty green spaces. We need productive land now, clearly. Yeah, and it looks like they've got uh, goats grazing in the park. I think they might be using them maybe because the councils can't afford to do the uh, grazing these days. And I guess, I mean, people could probably eat them as well. Oh, it's a kind of low-carbon, fossil-fuel-free lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> now, on the topic of meat, I mean, I don't know why I keep talking about meat, but um, looks like people are growing meat in test tubes in their homes. Oh, wow. That's weird would i want to try that test tube meat oh i'm not sure about that i think we need to talk to india about that one as well yeah 
Oh, okay. Well, I think I've had enough time traveling now. I yeah. think let's go back to the present and find out what's happening and how we can ensure that we have a sustainable future for our food. Meg, let's go. Home, please. <laughs> yeah, Take us go home. home. We want to go home. All right, thank you. Can I um, have your headsets back, please, and your audio guides? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a rip-off. Oh, OK, all right, all right. I'll give you five stars, you give me five stars, yeah? Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right, yeah. thanks. Cool. Cheers, mate. Oh, well, that was a pretty mad experience, time travel. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's pretty crazy what's been going on in human history. Yeah. So what What now? What What do we do? We're back in 2019, and what can we do? Well, I think, I, I mean, I want some answers, really. I think we need to understand a bit more about all this technology and what's happening and also what us and the listeners can do. Yeah, sounds good. So what, do we need to speak to India again? Yeah, I want to know a bit more about this uh, vertical farming. We are an agri-tech company. What we've done is we've developed an innovative indoor farming system. It's based on aeroponics, which is an improvement on hydroponics. So hydroponics is a method where you suspend plant roots in a nutrient solution. Whereas mm. in aeroponics, they're sprayed with like a nutrient mist, which means that they can breathe better. So they've got better access to oxygen and carbon dioxide. But not only do these farms produce more food, they actually use a lot less resources than both uh, hydroponic farms and typical field-based farms. They use 30 less water and fertilizer than hydroponics and up to 95% less water and fertilizer than traditional field growing. A lot of that is to do with like recapture and reuse. Like we use a very closed loop system. We also use no pesticides and we don't need any fertile land or even sunlight to use our systems. Wow. Which is fantastic. Because of this, it means we can deploy these systems absolutely anywhere in the world. So it could be cities, deserts. Um, there's one, I think, in the North Pole called the Eden ISS. It's not our company, it's a different vertical farming company. You can even situate them in disaster sites. They're immune to fluctuations in the climate, which would destroy other crops in outdoor systems. So droughts, heat waves like we had last year in 2018, or floods. Um, these things are becoming increasingly common as the climate heats up and becomes a bit more unpredictable. So what are you growing on your vertical farms? All sorts of things. The majority of our crops are delicate things, so salads, microgreens, strawberries and things like that. So they really benefit from being grown as close to the consumer as possible because a huge amount of them is wasted in transit. Other things that are really, really great to grow in our systems, I think I mentioned strawberries already, mm. uh, are things that aren't always in season here. So strawberries, for example, are shipped in a lot of the time, so they'll be air freighted. This means that they're picked before they are ready really to be harvested so that they survive the journey better. And we tend to use seeds, hybrid seeds, that will survive transit well rather than growing for nutrition or flavour or anything like that. So I feel like as, as a consumer, you actually lose quite a lot from that. Other things we've grown, we've grown carrots, we've even grown um, small trees. This was for uh, replanting outside later, so we didn't grow them to full size. So you can grow pretty much anything in the system. It just depends on whether there's uh, a sense case for it. Mm. So some of those things that you talked about, like sort of things like strawberries, um, you know, sort of in an apocalyptic world, are strawberries a priority? Shouldn't we be thinking about growing potatoes or something? 
Maybe in an apocalyptic world, no. But actually, in the UK, we have more of a problem of people eating too many calories and not enough nutrition. Growing things like salads and strawberries um, actually is quite important, and growing high-nutrition crops rather than crops that survive transit well. So, India, what other innovations are happening? Uh, I've come into contact with a really fantastic company quite a lot recently um, called The Small Robot Company. Mm. Uh, So they're addressing a lot of the same issues that we are, but in a different way. What they're essentially doing is swapping big tractors for small robots that use precision agriculture. Uh, So they're reducing the use of pesticides and fertilizers and taking the pressure off of the soil. And I mean that incredibly literally. So soil compaction from tractors is actually a major issue, particularly on things like clay soils. Mm. Um, By removing those tractors altogether, farmers can plough less, which is better for the soil health. And it also helps the soil hold on to its carbon better. Mm. So we often think about trees and things like that being like carbon sinks, but the soil is actually a fantastic carbon sink as well. What about lab-grown meat, India? We talk a lot at Lettuce Grow, actually, about appropriate technologies. There has to be a benefit for people and the planet. Otherwise, there's no use using technology just for the sake of it. I'm actually the token vegan at Lettuce Grow. Um, I went vegan a couple of years ago, in part because of the resource cost of animal agriculture. It just uses so much land and water. Something ridiculous like 70% of the soy grown in the world is fed to cattle. And they're not even very efficient at turning that into meat or milk or anything like that. They need about 40,000 calories a day, and roughly 6% of that is burped out as methane. And the other thing, of course, um, particularly from a vegan standpoint, is to do with compassion. So if you can minimise animal suffering by switching to lab meat, then I think go for it. So I suppose like the good thing about growing meat in labs is that you're removing all the methane from those farting cows. Yeah, but then I guess the thing is with any processed food or any factory that's doing anything is that it'll have a carbon footprint. So it'll be emitting lots of carbon dioxide to make that happen. On balance, it's difficult to know. I heard recently that uh, methane is a significantly more dangerous greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, but... It only lasts for 12 years, whereas carbon dioxide lasts for much longer. So that's a bit of a a, a meaty conundrum. Mm, So it will disappear sooner from the atmosphere and therefore stop having its greenhouse gas impact. Yeah, but the next 12 years are pretty significant. So Mm -mm -mm. we do need to cut down on meat and dairy in general. And the methane thing, there's lots of innovations at the moment that are being trialled. I read somewhere that in Ireland, they're giving cows seaweed because it's supposed to like uh, help them with their farting. Oh, it's it's kind of like a probiotic, isn't it? I read about that. So it kind of helps give their gut bacteria, which helps them break down their food better, so they belch and fart less, basically. Wow. I mean, yeah. Who, who'd have thought that you could buy a uh, cow uh, probiotics? Yeah. Well, that's quite cool uh, as an idea, but it does seem like putting a lot of faith in a system which should be reduced anyway. Yeah, well, I think probably the people who've got the better idea are that the Eating Better Alliance because they're suggesting that um, we try and reduce by 50% the uh, consumption of meat and dairy in the UK by 2030. So that sounds like probably a better idea and they want better quality meat and dairy rather than this mass production thing. I think it's good. It's a kind of much more moderate target. And I think if you think about it, it's better that all of us eat half as much meat than 10% of us going vegan. 
Yeah, and dairy, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of, yeah, if, if we all, yeah, if, if 50% of people ate less meat and dairy, then we'd be in a better position than mm. the small number of people who go all the way. Yeah. So maybe those are the kinds of messages that are really important to get out and actually be palatable, pardon the pun, Whoa. to the general public. So I think this probably segues on quite nicely to some top tips. Yes, I'm sure our listeners will be wondering now, they've been th- on a journey through time, what they can do today to make their diets more sustainable here's five top tips for how you can help build a positive future for food number one cut down on meat and dairy we've all heard about the problems of uh, meat and dairy production and if you want to know more we've got loads of articles in the show notes but why not aim for that 50 percent reduction number two tackle food waste A third of the food we produce in the world never hits a human stomach. This is crazy. Think how you can shop smartly and also cook with leftovers in your fridge and check out the apps like Too Good To Go, Olio, which help to redistribute food that would have gone to waste. Also, there's community fridges popping up in communities all over the UK and the world. Number three. Grow your own veg. Either do this in your own backyard on a windowsill or why not check out a local gardening club or community allotment? And if you want to grow your own meat, there's even pig cooperatives and schemes like Street Goat where you just take it in turns to look after the goat or the pig and then you get to have some of the cuts at the end. Number four, create demand for local food systems by buying local. So things like veg boxes, community-supported agriculture, where you share the risk with the farmer, these will help to ensure that your local food systems stay more resilient in the future. Number five, buy some organic food where possible. Even if it's just a few things, obviously it's more expensive, but the thing is, it's grown without pesticides, which are better for the insects and the biodiversity. Right, I think it's time for Greenwash Corner. Greenwash Corner. I recently came across this. Have you seen this before? Is that Red Bull Organic Tonic Water? Yep, it's a thing. Oh, wow. So uh, the reason I'm putting this in Greenwash Corner is because um, I'm... So thinking, why has Red Bull gone into organic tonic water? And obviously it's because uh, everyone's drinking gin now and gin goes with tonic and not with Red Bull. So they obviously thought there's a demand. They want to get into the market and maybe they thought they want to do something a bit green. Um, So it's like, oh, yeah, great. They're going organic. But actually... The reality is this product is organic, but Red Bull as a brand isn't organic. They haven't found an organic uh, taurine to make their their normal Red Bull product. So, yeah, I feel like they're just trying to ride the green wave and uh, jump in for some market share. Ah, yeah, but I think it's, you know, it's cool that they're diversifying their product. Maybe they know that they have a limited time left on this really unhealthy product that is their main product. So maybe they just are looking ahead and seeing the trends. So do you think we should be buying more of this to get rid of nasty Red Bull? <laughs> I mean, this 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 all the nice one? Well, a lot of brands say that their sustainable ranges are growing at much quicker rates than their regular ranges. So I'd be really interested to know 
how the sales are on that because that's the first time I've ever seen it. So what do we reckon? Greenwash or not? Are we allowed to try it with a gin and tonic at some point? (laughs) (laughs) What decide afterwards? I think it's clear that a lot of brands now are jumping on this bandwagon. So, but I mean, yeah, damned if they do, damned if they don't. So I reckon, you know, it's cool. I think this is probably, we've got a future episode in this talking about, you know, how brands move into the sustainable sector. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's do it. Right. So Jess, what have you got for Greenwash Corner today? Well, seeing as it's food i wanted to think about the meat alternative burgers that we're seeing on the market so uh, impossible burger and beyond meat which has been in the news a lot lately because it recently went publicly listed in america on the stock exchange and did very very well and i recently tried my first beyond meat burger what's it like it was really good actually yeah meaty Well, I'm a vegetarian. I haven't eaten meat for about four years, so it did taste pretty meaty to me. And people have said that in restaurants they've been sending them back because they mm. think that, like, vegetarians or vegans think that they're, they're meat so they, and they've had it by mistake, so they send it back. But it is, yeah, it's really good. It's really tasty, and I enjoyed it a lot. So, But then I guess the reason why it's maybe in Greenwash Corner is I think because it's been touted as this plant-based burger kind of has the implication that it's healthier than meat yeah and natural yeah and it's it's not really and we've got to remember about these things is that they are a a processed food and they're not necessarily healthy they're not the kind of thing that you want to be filling your freezer with and eating all the time and it's still you're probably better off eating if you want to actually be healthy um or even more sustainable from a carbon perspective, having a actual kind of plant-based burger, which is made from whole foods, is is a better move. Having said that, I think as an occasional treat, these are great. And I think if you look at the carbon footprint from these burgers compared to a meat burger, obviously it's hugely less. So, yeah, so I suppose like, to my mind, I haven't had one, but if you're a meat eater and you aren't ready to go vegetarian or vegan this is a better option for them reducing their carbon footprint. So it's it's tackling that issue rather than... And, and less farting. Totally, because this is the... Sorry, what? Less farting? <laughs> I mean, not, I don't know whether they make you fart or not, but there's <laughs> cow farting. Okay, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> just as a check. Yeah, so... This is this these products, all of these meat substitute or meat alternative products are obviously targeting the omnivore market you know people who are meat eaters it's not really targeting the vegans and vegetarians Mm. so much the people who are already there or that kind of first wave of people who are already there so i think these products will do a huge huge amount to get people turning away from those beef meat products which is absolutely what needs to happen so i take my hat off to them i think they're great for that but i think we just have to take it with a bit of pinch of salt himalayan salt yeah um and just remember these things aren't necessarily that good for you they're not that healthy they're still highly highly processed they're still genetically engineered aren't they yes so we'll include some links in the show notes if you want to find out more about that so i mean this is quite a nice so we can have a burger and a drink in greenwash corner you want to share it (laughs) yeah we can have a burger and a gin and tonic nice let's do it And that is a great thing because now we're actually going to go on our summer recess from Woke and Confused. We're going to be off for a few weeks enjoying the summer. 
So we'll be back in September with our new episodes. Yeah. So in the interim, you can obviously keep in touch with us. People have sent us lots of lovely emails um, and you can connect with us on our social media channels. If there's any episodes you want to see or topics you want us to cover, then let us know because we'll be doing some planning over the summer. And also, if you're keen to ask Woke and Confused to come into your workplace, we're still absolutely taking inquiries for that. So do let us know if you think we could come in and chat to you and your employees. Yeah, the Woke and Confused workplace sessions. There's some information on our website if you want to find out more. Okay, Jess, have a lovely summer holiday. Will do. Have a good one, Livy. Thanks, Livy. Bye.